Hi, Dee. Hi, Mickey. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Grief After Dark. Season two, Dark Matter. We're nearing the end of our Dark Matter journey. Yeah, it's it's been so delightful. It has. And also just like, you know, I'm so honored by all the, the wonderful people that I know. Yep. And the, and the work that they do, that they would share it with us. I know I've said this before, <laughs> and this kind of ties into our conversation about validation. Yeah. There are times that I'm not feeling super awesome about myself. Mm-hmm. And I think about the people who want me in their life mm-hmm. and are willing to take time to spend with me. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you guys are the shit. Yeah, that whole appreciation and, and validation piece, I really want to try to do more of that this year of like telling people exactly what they mean to me in my life, mm. you know, and the impact that they've had on me, if any, mm-hmm. and how I carry it, you know, yeah. through my life, whether that's saying, you know, I hear your voice when, when I'm doing a certain thing. Mm telling me, you know, I hear your advice. Mm-hmm. I actually do hear your voice in my head a lot. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's gotta be wild. <laughs> I actually say out loud on a regular basis that I'm going to channel my inner D on this one. <laughs> it's been very valuable. I appreciate you for that. Oh, and I appreciate you as well, because I do be hearing your voice too. <laughs> Like, gotta be wild. <laughs> time. <laughs> um, so this episode, here's what happened, you guys. Um, this is another old friend of D's and someone I had never met before. And we basically introduced ourselves. And then the three of us, wasting zero time, launched into the most incredible, fascinating, titillating conversation. And I was like, I should hit record. So... <laughs> I'm going to say this is kind of like, like, let's all pretend that we were all at a party and you were like, you know, standing across the room and you just got a drink and you kind of scoped the room out and it's me and D and the wonderful, fabulous nausea mm-hmm. off in the corner talking. And you're like, what are they talking about? And you're basically just kind of going to walk in on the middle of our conversation. <laughs> Basically, we were walking in on the middle of a conversation that had already been been started. And um, I <laughs> just love how this happens. It's like I, we were getting so good at just skipping the small talk and jumping right into things with people. Yes. What I need to talk. get better at is hitting record before we start. Right. <laughs> like the minute I see their face on Zoom, I need to hit that record button. Let's press record yeah. <laughs> because we, but, we're jumping in and it's so good. Oh, it's so good. God, I love this conversation. Yeah. Mental health and, and kids and family mental health. This is such an important topic to talk about. Yeah. Tell everyone a bit about Naja Truva. Naja is a children and family therapist and works at, out of a facility here in Santa Fe and does work with small children and you know, not so much adults and and she'll go into that, but Nadja has just been a place of peace for for a lot of us in the community. Mm. And this is a person who is decolonizing what therapy can look like for black people and people of color. The way that she does her work, I think it's so community and village based and, and beautiful in that way. It's just like an honor, honestly, to, Mm -hmm. to witness because having had to look for therapists and looking for a therapist of color here in Santa Fe has been very difficult because there's so few of us here. Yeah. In our community, we are definitely underserved, but having her in that gap for kids, especially and kids of color, especially Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, families who are raising kids of color. So it may not necessarily be, you know, the whole family is of color, but adopted kids or you know whatever the case may be like however however the dynamics look in the family so um what a pleasure oh what a gift I mean we talked extensively about community and connection she had some absolutely fascinating things to say about 
social media addiction. Um, she referred to unconscious interaction, which I am, I had to write it down because that got, that just really, it struck a chord for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about the danger of isolation. She found, she renamed not rapid fire, rapid fire to <laughs> casual fire questions. Yeah. <laughs> This was um, just such a pleasure, and I'm going to be thinking about and talking about this conversation for for some time to come, and I look forward to the next time we get to chat with her, too. Absolutely. Take it away, Naja. This podcast addresses death, difficult emotional content, and contains profanity. Listen with... Your own motherfucking discretion. (laughs) (laughs) Get your kids. This is Grief After Dark. Well, in the dark, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, do we do an introduction or do we just like jump in? Let's just start the podcast. (laughs) Let's make this the first one where we don't have any introduction at all. It's just, here we go. Hey, welcome everybody to the middle of our fucking conversation. (laughs) At the middle of our conversation, Mm -hmm. we are talking about marketing and social media and um, mental health today because Mm -hmm. it's got to be done. And we'd like to welcome one of my dear friends, Nadja. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. 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 Thanks for being You know, as a, as a therapist, right, is talking about social media and marketing and propaganda, the way it bumps into my work is even propaganda, right? Advertising, whatever. They figured out that they will sell you either in like a, a transactional money for good services or thoughts, ideas, right? Um, They sell more when a person feels bad. So um, it it sells more to make when somebody's angry, scared, you know, um, then, you know, if if the messages were actually empowering, it's counter to to whatever they're trying to sell because then you don't need it. If I feel good about who I am and what I'm doing and how I'm showing up, Right then, I don't need the the skin cream or the political view that those people are bad or the cult right? <laughs> or the cult. Right. right. I and and again, oh shoot, we can get into cult like like this false sense of belonging. Like people are so isolated. We've got all of these false senses of of connection. This pandemic hit us, and we got even more isolated than we were, and we were still isolated in 2019. Uh, record levels of isolation right and then you know we have these systems of belief that really read when you boil them down like cults and they're very much designed to give people a sense of being connected right but it's not this authentic connection that we all strive for we are all human beings are inherently communal animals before i hit record God, we do that every time on the podcast too. I always have, I hit record after we have this great conversation and I have to catch the listeners up. But Naja referred to a lot of social media as unconscious interaction mm-hmm. and the false sense of connection in that where it's really kind of the antithesis of connection. And I was thinking, and you just said it, Part of that is people not showing up authentically. There's nothing authentic about it. I can't say nothing. We know that people have true, sincere connection on social media. Mm -hmm. I think a vast majority of the time, it is unconscious interaction or just unconscious scrolling, This, which furthers the separation Mm -hmm. between us, but we get addicted to the idea of connection. I mean, it's really, it can be a vicious cycle. Right. So if we think of like the, the brain has, the word that comes to mind is drugs, but they're not actually drugs. They're just chemicals that the brain naturally possesses as part of uh-huh. being alive, but they fill. And many of the drugs, heroin would is one of the great ones, cocaine. They mimic certain of these brain cocktails. So that's one theory in addiction treatment is people are using in an attempt to get this, feeling that 
being authentically connected gives you. So um, in, in theory, when a baby is born, uh, the birth can be difficult, right? It's not the most pleasant of human experiences, the act of either birthing or being born, right? So after this difficult thing that this parent and this baby have gone through, they look at each other and there's this dump of dopamine, serotonin. This is what love feels like an ah, ah. And then and we see it when we look at puppies and it's this very strong motivator for human behavior. Well, I would argue one of the strongest motivators for human behavior. And, and, you know, when we don't have it, when we don't have people in our lives that we love and we trust, we don't feel safe in our relationships and our environments. We, we have a deficit. The brain is not producing these and releasing these to us. And it's, we, we feel that impulse, right? right? The brain is telling us, and we could even go farther back. The, the metaphor I use a lot is, is the tiger in the room. So if I'm alone in a room and a hungry tiger walks in, who wins, me or the tiger? It's not a trick question. Who wins? The tiger. Hands down, right? Like, we're, I don't have claws. I don't even have a shell. <laughs> the three of us are I in a room. I don't have a shell. Right? We don't have any defensive. We are ridiculously engineered we just have this really fat, juicy brain, which is why there's some. Anyway, uh, the three of us are in a room and a tiger walks in. Who wins? Probably the tiger still. Probably the tiger, but our odds start to go up. Better right? chances. Mm-hmm. We have better if there's 20 of us in a room, right? You start to see where this goes. And so, yeah. again, we don't have physiological defense. We don't, we can't outrun any of the predator animals. Right. And so we there's this biological impulse for us to um, form communities. We are communal animals that feels like connection. Right. Yes, we need to be invested in each other if we're going to survive. And so when we find ourselves isolated, even I'm and I'm not a social person, you know, but still like I need, you know, a couple uh, real people, real connections, real relationships. And when, when even that gets on shaky ground, right? We have our, our brains and our bodies tell us to find other people. It's a safety mechanism. Loneliness isn't a sad, trivial emotion. It is this impulse for protection. Danger. Right? Danger. Isolation equals danger. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it can lead us. And and now we're, we're in this like fucked up play. Are we cursing on the podcast? Oh, fuck yes. Okay. Okay. Thank God. Oh, so like when we get like isolated, there's this drive, this impulse to be connected um, and doing little things like, Oh, she liked my picture. It's like a, a micro dose. Yep of that yeah but it's not i would like i'm really murdering this not like a beneficial dosage of the connection so we go back so we go back wow so we go back and we're scrolling and we're scrolling and we're scrolling a little bit ah keep going keep going not enough ah right and in the middle of that that's how this unconscious process i'm talking about right we see scary headline scary headline political person war disease right? Which all it does is like furthers that gap. So we got to keep scrolling. Um, If you actually find yourself in that loop, my recommendation is like, you don't need to delete the app, but put like a timer on it. Mm. And for every five minutes you spend on a social media app, actually have equal time of a positive interaction. Call a friend. Just talk. And when I say to people, where, where, where are you social? Are you socially interacted? You call a friend. They think I'm telling them, call a friend about why you're sad. Call a friend about why you're depressed. Don't keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe talk to your therapist. Maybe talk to your dog. Whatever is going on, talk to people who can help or can't, right? Sometimes there aren't. I'm not telling you to get more help with the problem. I'm telling you to feel more connected. Call a friend talk about trash TV, talk about the weather, talk about 
that funny time you got caught, whatever. It literally doesn't matter, right? It's this reminder that even though you're not able to be in the same room, that you are connected, you are not in fact alone and in danger in the world. Right. Yeah. So I quickly want to go back to when you were talking about the flood of chemicals and particularly Mm -hmm. when you like give birth and have a baby in that moment that happens when you are gazing Mm -hmm. lovingly into this, these eyes, it's like, I could literally remember that and feel that wash over me right when you said it and my cheeks got all warm. Mm -hmm. I was going to say that the brain is so incredible that you're talking about babies and puppies and D and I are sitting here with like big smiles on our face. (laughs) I don't, I don't right. have kids. I don't have any sort of recall, but I can, I can get to a place of appreciation of that connection and that deep love and the dopamine and the, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I, I just feel like in full fairness, so that's the way it's designed to work. And there are reasons that are nobody's fault that that system might break down. Mm-hmm. Right. So sometimes I work with parents and mothers who have the baby and look and that for some reason that doesn't have, so not, I don't want anybody to like feel right, feel judged or feel away if, if that was a struggle. Um, uh, if it is a struggle, call me, this is what I do. Um, but no, no, if it is a struggle, get help. It means there's something in there. Some wires got across. There's a process that's not happening that we can kickstart. Right. But I don't want anybody, uh, especially I'm thinking about like postpartum depression or, you know, mom, momming, we would all know even pet momming isn't all butterflies and roses. So, um, but this is ideally, ideally what we're talking about is this thing. And it, and it's, um, you know, I know if you've known us, the behavioral biology is my jam. So if we think of human beings are talked about us being ridiculously designed creatures, One another way this looks is we have there's what's called an age of independence. Mm -hmm. So um, how long does it take from a creature to be born so they can kind of take care of themselves? So we think (laughs) on one end like a mammal, a mammal. Uh, We think on one end a gazelle, right? Like a gazelle is on the savanna and they're pregnant and she drops the baby gazelle. It can run from a predator in like an hour. Right, because it needs to. Because mom's like, I, I'm also a prey animal. We got, up, let's go. <laughs> you know, um, all the way on the other side of that, we have like the primates, chimps, gorillas, um, and they're talking like two years, which is eons in the wild right. before this baby can take care of this mother or and father or parent. Um, it needs to be wholeheartedly invested in the survival of this little creature for like two years <laughs> uh, if this species is going to continue to survive and propagate on the other side of that we have humans so I hear a couple different numbers it's really hypothetical six eight I know some eight-year-olds that I'm like probably not it's okay <laughs> right you know some 18 year olds that I'm I like know, right mm-hmm. like I know 30 I know <laughs> but um grown ass men yo big age mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry mm-hmm. we didn't hear the man bash however <laughs> <laughs> uh, and woman if it makes oh, yeah and well yeah yeah it's not it's not a gender thing no 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 some, some adult adult people but you gotta get I have to finish my thought or else I'm gonna lose it okay this baby this human baby is gonna need eight to 12 to 32 years of parental investment this parent needs to be in love with this baby that's why this brain chemical process exists mm-hmm. because if 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 they're ambivalent like ah though so they're okay right? right then it doesn't happen so that's why this process kicks in because this baby needs that process they're going to look in each other's eyes i have several seconds to make this adult be willing what right what does parenthood ask of us to lift a car Yes. Would you fight a bear for your child? Absolutely. Would you walk thousands of miles? Would you strap your baby to your chest and get in a goddamn raft? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. This this is love. This is the chemical origins of love. I'm like the least romantic person. 
<laughs> but but that's you know that's um that's that the the origins of this connection process right that's the dopamine that that makes us bond together that makes us and we're not again 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 i i just every freaking mental health conversation i can get in i say this we were never ever ever meant to do it alone or even in a pair is not enough so can i ask you then about the flip side of that because i've read a number of people who have said that human sort tribes for lack of a better word really work best in groups of about a hundred and anything beyond that starts getting counterproductive. And obviously we haven't lived in tribes that small in a long, long, long time. And I, I think a lot about, because I came from a very overpopulated city where I couldn't escape. Now I'm in a smaller town with five acres and I'm doing much better mental health wise, Mm -hmm. being saturated with humans all of the time, everywhere I go, including the grocery store at 10 o'clock at night is very overwhelming. Well, I would draw a distinction between uh, it being in proximity to other people versus being in relationship to other people. Okay. So if we're talking about a tribe of a hundred, I'm asking myself, do, does a, an, any one individual in that tribe realistically, can they have a relationship with each and every other 99, 99 other members of that tribe? So it's possible, right? The uh, New York City comes from my family's from New York, right? You could have all these, there's like um, several million very lonely people occupying a small amount of space together. Right. And so you could have a tribe, you could have a, a large numbers of people, but but it's not the number of people, it's the number of people that you are in an authentic relationship with. So it's back to authentic connection again. We're, yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's the, in mental health, that's the, that's the thing. That's the, the, the basis where it all comes and ends in, you know? Yeah. And that makes sense that being around so many people, I mean, I certainly experience, I experienced that at a party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be around a lot of people can really amplify a feeling of isolation and loneliness. Absolutely. If there's not actual connection there. Right. Well, I mean, too, it depends on what you're doing, you know, at the club. I'm cool with that. Be a bunch of people and, and we're dancing and we're doing the thing. And then I can go on about my business. I think for me, like it's a slippery kind of dance, slipping in and out of like, you know, I'm not going here to fulfill a need of connection with every single person. I'm going here to fulfill this connection with my spirit or, you know, release some chemicals that only I can do. There's a specific connection with a group of people dancing to the same song too. To me, that's what's so intoxicating about clubs and and going out dancing is or concerts, the the movement of a crowd to a beat like there's something so primal. And I think you don't have to even touch anybody else to like find a connection in that. Yes. And 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 if this is you know what you do, what fuels you, you know, absolutely keep doing that. I'm not trying to de-authenticate anything but I also think about how many when I think about like indigenous ways of living more ancient ways of living so many indigenous communities wherever on the planet they are are have you know um there's a phrase that comes up it's super academic it's called terpicharian Terpichine was, I'm I'm probably murdering that, but it's like a Greek god of music. So it's a white phrase for something that has existed, um, but it it, it describes a culture, a Terpicharian culture is a culture that um, has music as a part of all aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So there's a having a baby song, there's a planting crops song, there's a funeral song, there's a we're cleaning the dishes song. Right. And it's this way of this, you know, when everybody's planting, you know, or harvesting because it's the harvest time of the year and there's a song to do that. It's again, everybody's on the same page. Everybody's doing the same thing together to benefit this group. The music helps us to do that. 
even like rowing a boat. Now we don't do a whole ton of that. Most of us aren't connected to other people in our community in that way. So something like going to a concert, right? There are ways to get this feeling where we're all this communal, this, um, I see that a lot, mm-hmm. right? But um, I also see it get like a little twisted, right? So um, we're going to go to a music venue. We're going to listen to music together. I'm also going to do ketamine because uh-huh. that feels good right. or whatever, right? And again, no shame to drug use or whatever, but it's meant, the point I'm trying to make is that it's meant to mimic this connection and 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 euphoria is probably too strong, but this, that's the word I have at this moment, this euphoria that comes when we're actually authentically connected to a community of people and we're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I know that's, maybe I'm talking about myself in my 20s. That's exactly, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm talking about, because again, like you were in theater and, and doing mm-hmm. all the things. And I have had this conversation with my spouse many times about like, it, you act like somebody who's never been in theater. And when we're in theater, we're all on the same page and we're practicing the same thing and we're, mm-hmm. you know, producing this product and we get that's like, you know, those hits for us are constant. And mm-hmm. so like the, the chemicals, when you're thinking about it that way, you know, mm-hmm. and the euphoria, I like that word that you're using because that's exactly what we're trying to produce is that and sustain is that feeling of euphoria, that feeling of like, I am totally supported. I'm connected to some people that I love. I might just love them for the time that I'm with them, but, and I might move on, but you remember how to make that connection wherever you are. Mm. Right. You know, so like how many different casts have you been in and have fallen in love with just everybody there or maybe not everybody there, but most of the people there. And like you all have, you know, gone on to do really beautiful things together because you're all in that same headspace together. Right. And we work together. We made something together. It's not my Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. and it's not your thing. Mm -hmm. We all contributed to this larger thing that we've done together. And that's like a village mentality. That's what I'm talking about is the antidote to this social media black hole. So I wanted to ask you what tips you have for parents to support their kids in taking care of their mental health. And because because that's a conversation I don't think that could start too early. And because our focus is grief, and I know you don't do grief work yourself, but you know a lot about it. Yeah. So for for context, uh, people who don't know me, uh, I'm a therapist. So the two main things that I do, um, I do child child and family therapy with a specialty in um, childhood trauma. So while I don't do like grief, I work with trauma, which is, I feel like grief adjacent. The other one, um, the other thing I, I do most is um, decolonize clinical constructs. So yes. um, therapy traditionally is a old white dude thing. Yeah. Um, and that does it. There are ways in which that as a black woman, um, that doesn't fit me. So how, how are ways that, you know, I, I still very much believe in mental health psychology, but I think we can look at how helping it fit for all the people who look different ways and identify different ways. Right. I think evolve is going to die out. Right. Right. And I think, you know, that's the beauty of it is we're seeing, you know, we're, we're empowered to say more recently than ever that the way that it's worked traditionally doesn't work for me. (laughs) So how can we make it look? But, um, but to answer your question, um, one of the things I really love about working with children um, and, you know, and every clinician is different. Um, I, some would say like, Oh, the kids are so hard. I find them so much easier than an adult. Like if I have an adult and I, and I see adults and I love seeing adults, but um, typically new client, they'll just, you know, well, what brings you in today? Well, I have a very difficult relationship with my mother and that spans from this thing that happened and my father was there, but he was absent and da, 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 that is like, right. Like, okay. That actually, um, while it was valuable information, 
um, isn't therapeutic. When I have a kid, um, I, I can't developmentally expect them to have that narrative. So what I do is I'm like, here is a box of crayons and a piece of paper. Can you draw for me what's going on? And I guarantee 99 times out of 100, I've got a beautiful encapsulation of how that kid feels, mm. how they feel about their family, what have how they experienced what happened, right? And it's very much, I think a lot of the work with children is about getting out of their head. So I think, you know, D, the, you know, the way you ask the question is how can we talk about it, keep the dialogue? And I think um, talking about it is, is great and it's important. We want kids to feel like they can say anything. So that's a big one. But we could also just like, um, we, we call it experiential. There are kids, there are adults, plenty of adults who won't have access to words to describe the difficulty of what they're experiencing. So I like just to give them a lot of options, mm -hmm. right? So we can, we can color and they, and it doesn't have to be like a freaking like therapeutic. Okay. We're going to sit down and do our art therapy about how we're feeling about what happened right now. Right. <laughs> but um, having, having the access to it um, read it as it comes up and it will come up, whatever's going on with the kid will come up and you don't even have to catch it every time. It'll come up again and again and again because they're so young. Their entropy is toward wellness. It's so much harder for a kid to get like stuck and mm -hmm. what, what they're in. As adults, we have a lot of reasons why we like, we might mask our feelings to be in public and go to work and we get in patterns where it's hard for us to access it. But the kids, they got it. They, they got it. So really, um, I guess the short answer is to to get out of the way. And it's hard as parents. I'm not great at that. I got a little one. We're going through the things, right? It's not, I don't want to act like I'm great at, at this, but. Yeah, it's hard as an individual. I get in my own way all of the time. Mm -hmm. But being reminded though, to get out of the way. Yeah. Right. Get out of the way. And like, we have this thing of, we will have this narrative for every single fucking feeling that we have. And then we'd be mm -hmm. overthinking it to the damn ground and beating the dead horse, the horseman dead for 65 years and everybody to moved on. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we, we linger with these narratives of like, this is, Oh my God. And then we start projecting shit into the future. Shit mm -hmm. that's not even happening. Mm -hmm. You know, I was having a conversation the other day with some, um, folks in our homeschool group and we were talking about safety internet safety and talking about sex with the kids and and like I'm I feel like Naja we've had this conversation before in, in another time but explaining it to them without it being taboo sex is fine like this is what your body's doing right now and like being able to explain something to somebody that this is a normal function of their body without shaming them. That's like an incredible feat right now in this day and age because of how we treat certain things in our society. And then like, we've got, oh, I've got to block every single site. I've got to do, you know, mm -hmm. I've got to monitor and I've got to look over his shoulder and I've got to explain, 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 explain uh, all these things. So like, what things do you tell parents about, you know, navigating those types of topics? So the sex one, um, and also grief, like loss, especially death. Mm -hmm. um, my big one is uh, to really uh, answer the question the child asked. So I, I hear a lot that go like this. Uh, Mommy, where did I come from? A man and a woman feel way about it. Like, oh, you were in my belly. Like, oh, cool. And on off it goes. Right? Yeah. Where's Joey yes. now? Oh, he got in a car accident and he died. Oh, well, there's heaven and a hell. And there's a God and a devil. And they created a place to keep us to do good things. Ugh. Like that means nothing to a kid, Listen, right? So really just was, with that shit growing up. Mm -hmm. I don't, mm -mm. we don't do that in our house, but like, right. you know, my daughter asked like, where do babies come from? I found her a video. She loves mm -hmm. this video. She watched it like a hundred times. And then now she doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. She's um, like, oh, thank you for telling me. I think I might adopt. <laughs> I'm trying to remember there was a show or a movie where people were like super worked up about talking to their little kid about sex. 
And they finally just like broke down and just said it, just bleh, said it straight up. And the kid was like, okay. And took off and went to go play. And they were just looking at each other like, oh. You know, my other point is, um, and in any of these big conversations we're having with kids is it words, again, words are very cheap currency to a child. Um, and, and, and we think of children and how they learn in the world. It's not by hearing, it is by observing. Hmm. So even if you, you, you got online and you got the right phrasing to say about how people are created or how people die, um, that child m- may actually not be listening to the words at all, but they are sure as hell watching you. So when you're like, oh, yeah, well, we don't talk about mm. it's okay. You could always talk to me about it. You could ask me anything, but oh, God, right? That's what they're, that's the messaging they're receiving about whether or not this is something we talk about. Right. So when people have a hard time talking about sex, they get so flustered for death, right? Oh, yeah. I encounter this so much with death conversation with kids and it's like tell them the truth and be specific because and get right with how you feel about it before you start to talk yes because they're listening to that that's what they're what they're seeing that part they are seeing that they are listening to that and it's you know there there was a while where my my son would tell the little one we don't talk about death here. And I had to tell him, it's not that we can't talk about death. We just don't joke about each other dying because Mm -hmm. that is triggering for us. It's not about, you know, the the, people die. This is, this is a fact of life here in our house. People die and you're not replaceable and ain't no coming back from that. So don't play games. (laughs) Like, you know, don't play games. I know the kids, the kids that don't need a conversation about birth, sex, or death are uh, kids who live on farms. Because that's exactly. Because they see it. It's just like, that's what cows do. That's what the dogs do. That's what the birds do. That's what our chief does. It's not like this huge, like thing, this secret thing that happens, right? You can walk by the pasture and see it. Right. Like this is, you know, that was how the, the question even came up. Why is the dog doing that? And they call it the booty dance now. And they're like, mommy, <laughs> the dog is doing the booty dance. And I'm like, mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> how about you mind your business? <laughs> this is natural. This is what they do. And mm-hmm. like, this is how you get chicks. This is how these birds up here in this tree have laid these eggs you need this union to happen mm-hmm. in order to create the big bang if you will you know right. <laughs> so like this is this is part of everyday life for us here on our little farm and garden project so it's easier right. for me i would say but also you know i know a lot of people who have a hard time initiating these conversations and saying, you you know, this is how it works and this is what it is. But also y'all, this is human nature, animal Mm -hmm. nature. This is nature. This is nature. And, and society fucked it up pretty good for us (laughs) so that for a lot of people, they have a hard time talking about it because they had a hard time, right? Like we see it get passed down um people who are on their like wedding nights and don't know things um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and, and again I'm, i don't want to be like judgy or something that's not where it's coming from but this way in which there's another world that exists where it's not secret knowledge it's not taboo knowledge it's not something that an adult feels uncomfortable about their own relationship with so that when they're trying to communicate it to a child, that discomfort reads through and the child learns, this is a thing that makes so-and-so uncomfortable. So another one, another heavy one is, um, especially with a little girl, I, I can tell how a little girl feels about her own body by asking that little girl how their mom feels about her body. Mm. You can tell, you know, and I, I hate to be like super gendered about it, but that in the society, that's where it's at. 
Susie, you are beautiful and your body is beautiful in any shape and you are deserving of love and respect no matter how your body looks. But when she sees mom go like, oh God, I can't go to the beach. Oh God, you know, like, oh, another Jane, I'm going to eat smoothies for a week, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the messaging that hits or, um, you know, in the context of grief, the way that could look is, you know, Susie, we can always talk about what happened and you can always talk about it. And I just want you to know, and then goes to family dinner and auntie asks mom, oh, how are you guys doing? You know, we're doing great. Yeah. Oh, it was sad, but we're moving through. It's, you know, bouncing back fast, feeling good, Mm -hmm. ready to go back to work. Yeah. The lead by example thing. Mm-hmm. It's also like, I'm just sitting here reeling at how fucking ironic it is for a parent to have a hard time talking to a kid about sex when sex is what brought the kid into the world. And all mm-hmm. of us like collapsing in on ourselves, having to talk about death when we're all headed there. Mm-hmm. There's, <laughs> this is some, what are we doing? <laughs> honestly, it's like, <laughs> Are we at the point where we just absolutely are, are, I don't know what word I'm looking for. Maybe it's disassociating or maybe it's, you know, cognitive dissonance or, you know, Naja, help me. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's all of those things where even as an adult, even as an adult, I can say for myself, like it might be clumsy as I, I do some supervision at work. And I will tell all of my employees, you need to take care of yourself. You cannot continue to do the work if you're not taking care of yourself. What are you doing for self-care? Are you creating space? And I had one say to me, like, what are you doing right now? Or no, I started the meeting with, I'm working through lunch. Do you mind if I eat while we talk? I had my therapist. I finally found a therapist. I like. I had my therapist say something to me and you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had this or it was like, Oh man, now I broke every it. time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> she said, um, no amount of self-care can make you two people. No, oh. hey, we need a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know what mine just said hmm. a couple of days ago, emotions are not dangerous. Even feeling fear is not dangerous. And it, it blew my mind. I'm still processing it. I think that's why I, I reacted so strongly to the connection of isolation mm-hmm. equaling danger just for human nature. You say that, you know, you know, it pissed me off this morning. Hmm. <laughs> uh, read the uh, headline. One of the Judds died. Forgive me. I'm not steeped in country music. Is that correct? One of the Judds. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. Let me look. The mom. Okay. <gasps> Winona. When sure. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and all the love to this family who's dealing with this loss. I read the article and I I think you know the family or somebody made a statement. She died of mental illness. And I tell you, I saw red. Like you can't die of mental illness. What does that even mean? There's two possibilities. And, and the one I think is most likely is she took her own life, right. maybe also um, addiction relatedly, perhaps okay. on accident. Right. But mm. it, you don't die. You can die of cancer. You can die of diabetes. You can die of strep throat. Right. Pneumonia. Um, you can't die of mental illness. What you die of is lack of support, lack of access, lack of uh, successful treatment. Can you please say that one more time for the motherfuckers in the back? <laughs> Have to remember, so you can't die of mental illness. You die of lack of support. You die of lack of effective treatment. Mm. Right? It's dangerous to me, and and more stigmatizing to say she died of mental illness. And I feel like they're trying to, and it's more of the sugar coating, right? There are people, and and again, I because I work with children and trauma, I um, just in the course of the work, I've gotten pretty good at saying things that typically make adults uncomfortable, but in a small enough chunk of information that a child can hear. Sometimes a person gets so sad, they decide not to be alive anymore. 
mm-hmm. that part. Sometimes people die of diseases that they can't prevent and it's nobody's fault. Right. It doesn't have to be a long, we don't need all the information, the grill gory details of it. You can still be private, um, but let's not pretend or sugarcoat or euphemism, right? That's the fancy word for yeah. it. Make it sound better. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Because you can deal with it in your head. You can't deal with it in your heart. So we put all the fancy words to it so that you're, it's a cognitive process and not an emotional process. Like leave my feelings out of it because I don't want to be uncomfortable. Right. That part. We, wow. But, but let's, you know, what if we could just say she had mental illness and she took her life. She had mental illness and she overdosed. Then the same with, you know, whoever the hell else is like Mm -hmm. uh, died by suicide is not a awful thing to say yeah it's not an accusation right yeah it's oh they were being so selfish were they you kidding me it's my first behavioral health job I was an intern and I needed a paid internship I wasn't uh, in a financial position to be working for folks for free Um, and one of the few paid internships were available was at an HIV clinic because that's how badly they needed people they were like we'll pay you to be an intern here and so and I wasn't even counseling I was doing like case management and this is still like shit almost 10 years ago but um at the time uh the folks coming in who were HIV positive were um the drugs are really good now and then they're probably even better again 10 years later um so if somebody is able to maintain their, their medication regimen, they can get undetectable and, and really, you know, they will continue to have, you know, the virus, but they can really lead really full and, and, and fulfilling lives they just need to continue to be on medication to do that. Um, back in the day, the first cocktails, late 80s, early 90s coming out were toxic chemotherapy style um, and so I had some, on my caseload, some younger cats who we were just managing their medication and it was fine. And then these older gentlemen who um, maybe contracted in the 80s, early 90s and because of the drugs um, and t- it just took so long to treat the disease like muscle necrosis and uh, really painful, debilitating physical um, responses to their medication. And we knew when somebody was... Um, suicidal because they would just stop taking their medication so Mm. again as long as you take your medication you can be pretty much asymptomatic um so then we would know when they aren't feeling their medication and i would get you know this young new uh therapist fledgling oh no i think they're you know if they don't take their medication then all these things are going to happen then eventually we we gotta call and, and, and I had a great supervisor that was like, well, what if we just let them? What if we trust their decision? They're saying they're too tired and it's too painful. What, what right mm-hmm. do I have to make them continue to endure, to try to make them? Right? If yeah. I could, one, I can't. And if I could, do I really want to do that? It brings up the the notion of reinvestment in living. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just too high of a price to pay for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And if they're in a place where they can't hear anything that is really steering them towards reinvestment, I mean, honestly, like I, I know that I struggle with that very, very, ugh, it was, I was grappling hard with the thought of reinvesting into this bullshit here that we're doing every day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh-huh. Well, like, and to be clear, I will, I will suicide counsel very, you know, and I'm ethically, you know, with my life and, uh, and I will, I am fucking ruthless. If somebody calls me, they're suicidal and I'm, I'm like, Oh, but your dog won't know why you didn't come home. Uh, yeah, no, no, oh, fuck shit. it. I don't play. I do not play. <laughs> but if somebody does complete their suicide, I don't judge it. I don't. Right. 
again right. oh how selfish sure they must have been weak this bullshit we could say about it yeah yeah right yeah and even saying that out loud i think for a lot of people they can't even say that out loud that they even struggle with that like mm-hmm. you you know i'm eight years down the road and i tell you this shit don't go away that don't go away mm-hmm. the reinvestment like that option to reinvest whew, that's like that shit comes up Every time something happens and it doesn't necessarily mean it's a death. It doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. it's like, you know, some real like super traumatic event. It's like shit piled on top of shit. Like we are not set up as a society to be drawn away from or out of our trauma for, you know, shit. We need a lifetime to fix this shit. We don't have that room. And so what really has delighted me lately is that these popping up of grief sanctuaries this popping up of like, Hey, you know, I'm a grief coach. I'm a grief doula. I'm a death doula. I'm a this, some of that and the other. And it's not this clinical modality, but it's also community. Like we're saying, Hey, we are regular fucking people and I hear you. And this is some real shit. Don't ignore that. This is not something to sneeze at and you are not crazy. And so much suicidality and and major depression comes out of this isolation. Mm -hmm. And again, I work a lot with young people and um, in young people, it's just, it's so fucking clear. Um, So much of it is um, issues of identity, queer identity, uh, trans identity um, are just I, I, I'm going to make up a statistic because I don't have but I don't think it's an exaggeration 85 to 90 percent of young people who attempt suicide are dealing with one of these LGBTQ plus issues and that's mm-hmm. and uh, that's a isolation issue Right. There, you know, typically, and I don't want to speak for anybody. I really don't want to be speaking for a member. I must identify as a cis straight woman. So I don't want to be talking a lot about groups I don't identify. I'm not a part of. And um, so much of it is, 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 is this person struggling with their identity or does this person's identity cause them to not have a community anymore? Right. It's not their identity that makes them suicidal. It's the isolation that their identity mm. is uh, causing, air quotes, causing. Yeah, it's right? a big right. difference there. It's a big difference. It's a huge difference. Yeah. It's, I feel like we keep coming back to it. It's community. It's yeah. community. It is community. It's- and even the depression, even when you talk to somebody, if you're in a position where you talk to severely depressed and su- and or suicidal people, um, I'm alone. No one will ever understand. Mm-hmm. I'm not right. worthy of being in relation to people. Yeah. You know, and, and, mm-hmm. and even that one is about this isolation. And again, we can bump it all the way back into social media. If you're going, if you're only access to feeling related to other people is through your phone that's first of all a tainted method it's not designed to make you feel good about yourself right and b it's not actually connecting and in in most situations in most contexts so (laughs) you get a person who's already depressed and dealing with this stuff and then put them on social media it's not going to get better yeah it exacerbates yeah (laughs) Exactly. Damn. Nadia, well, I feel like we could go on that note. I was just going to so say, much for having me. Oh, did you? We, we have, have to do our three questions. We have arrived. At, at, but first, thank you. Thank oh, you so much. First and your, last. For your love and for your wisdom and for your expertise. So, this is our, our not so rapid fire, rapid fire question section. Casual fire questions. Casual fire. <laughs> The first question is, where is your dream place to live? It's hard. Okay, so so this is the process, right? Like I would have told you Hawaii. I would have told you Hawaii. And then the more I work in decolonized work, Hawaiian, indigenous Hawaiian people are like, we don't want you here. Like we got our own place. Like we got limited resources. So I'm not, I do want to live on a beach with more water, but I'm also not trying to take valuable resources from indigenous people who have always lived there. I don't like to their people. 
somewhere where um, some uh, I love Santa Fe. Can it just rain here more? That's my pick. That's my pick. Santa Fe with precipitation. Right. All right. All right. Mickey. Beach. (laughs) A beach. (laughs) Anywhere. They're they're so, you know. Broad, broad scale beach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love where I live now. I really do. I love the mountains. I like my home and, you know, the daily, but I, I dream of being back on a beach. Yeah. I feel like I could live anywhere, honestly, but if I have like mm, to dream about living, I used to dream about living in Hawaii. I spent some time there and it was just such a beautiful, such a beautiful place. Um, I kind of want to live in Africa for a little while Mm -hmm. and maybe all the places in my ancestry. Next question. What celebrity chef do you want to cook for you? There's a woman, I, she's probably not enough of a celebrity. Um, she wrote a cookbook. <laughs> Tony Titton Martin. Martin. Yeah. So um, she collected a, an anthology of, of black food. In the, I was like, I would let her, let's cook a meal. Let's cook it together. Mm. Oh, let's get together. That's, that's, that's what nice. I want to happen. I do not know celebrity chefs. I also enjoy cooking as a general rule, and I am so fucking sick of cooking right now in my life. I would be absolutely tickled if any sort of good cook would just like to feed me. Hmm. You guys want to come over and feed me? I will count you as a celebrity chef because if it's not me, I'm going to be happy. If it's not me and it tastes really good, I'm like golden. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. Dinner party. Yes. Let me see. I used to watch a lot of cooking shows, but like, I have to say, I would love for Emerald Agassi to cook mm. for me or with me. Just so we could laugh. <laughs> he would be a fun one. He would be a fun one. I feel like I would be really well yeah, fed high time. Like he just ain't going to let me go nowhere without being fed. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I want him to feed it to me with his hands. Oh, I don't like, I don't okay. like, <laughs> an ex- took an unexpected yeah, turn. Right. Mm. Wow. Tell me more about like, that. I want him to do the, the, the whole experience here. I like it. I want him to eat, make me eat my food. All of it here. I'm really <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, what is the most unpleasant sounding word? I mean, I know the psychology of this one. Most people uh, in the United States will say moist and panties separately, even though together they're still bad. Uh, <laughs> most people have identified those as the two least pleasant words to hear. Um, words are good. Huh. I mean, if your panties are moist, they moist. It's just um, <laughs> God, I didn't even think about that one. I think I don't, I, I don't know. Nothing. I don't really mind. All right. I can't well, think then. of a word. I just, it's the way words are said. Like, and you can say any word to me in hate or hatred or serious anger and make that word really gross. I have, True. I have the dumbest one for you. Do it. <laughs> so geeky Do it. and terrible. Um, the new Hobbit movies. So I read The Hobbit as a child. I love them. The Destination of Smog. Um, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Hobbit trilogy that they, yes. um, they, 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 they keep saying smog like a, a, a Southern dandy, like the Destination of Smog. <laughs> smog? Smog, <laughs> the dragon. It, just, it drove me Dra- nuts uh-huh. the whole movie. It is smog. So that's smog. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, yeah, like how that sounds. I don't mm-hmm. sit. That don't mm-hmm. sit well in my spirit. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. Don't again. Don't say anything to me like a southern dandy. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing. Don't anything. Not one thing. Just be quiet. All your panties <laughs> moist. Oh no! <laughs> how did you make those words worse? <laughs> I'm covering my face. Oh my god. Dee, do you have a word? <laughs> 
<laughs> just a word that just don't sit right in my spirit is cunts, mm. really. All right. Like, I mean, and I've said it to some folk, and and because I have that thing about it, they they sh- and they don't know this, but like, you know, if I say that word to you, this is serious business because I don't like how it sounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I usually use it as an adjective. Like I won't call someone a cunt, but I'll say someone's being cunty. Yeah. And I think the Y at the end just kind of softens it a little bit. That hard T starting with a hard C. It's very. (laughs) Pussy. And and that's the thing. It seems like my faith. Like. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Uh, Is your cunt moist? No. (laughs) Boy. (laughs) As y'all can't make your panties moist. We're gonna have to figure out some sort of like one X together oh. because I think like this needs to be a thing. <laughs> also, thank you yeah. for coming. Yeah. Naja, it's been such a pleasure. It was so good to meet you, Mickey. I know D. Me yeah. and D go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you later, girl. Yeah. But nice well, to meet you, Nikki. Yeah, this is yeah. this is delightful. I, this was so much fun. And thank you guys yeah. for letting oh me go gosh. off on all my various hey, soapboxes. Do this every season. Don't I mean? Don't be a stranger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me a call. Yeah. If you come back for more community oh, connection, yeah, let connection, us know, right? Like I feel like connections connection happen, even though we're not in the all same room. It. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for for that mm-hmm. opportunity, mm-hmm. both of you. Yes, sir. Yep. Cheers. <laughs>